football. Well, I think for the first time ever in goodness knows how many years, I'm going to say hi to Steve Vines today on Skype. Steve, one of our news guys said he was well impressed, more than impressed, that you even knew what Skype was. <laughs> Not half as impressed as I am, I can tell you. <laughs> His name rhymes with Mike Weeks. Anyway... <laughs> Steve, I'm really glad you've. Um, I mean, you, you just can't get up here today, so it's. Uh, absolute, I really can't. It's an assault course down the road, so thanks uh, very and much. The plus is I don't have to see you, so you know, <laughs> hey, very good. Well, still send your emails in for Steve Morning Brewer RTHK dot hk. So, Steve, I want to start off with a question uh, that you will not be able to answer because you're not Mystic Meg, but it's an interesting one from Anna. She says, "Are the universities likely to be no-go islands where cops can't go and students can do what they like?" Now, Steve. Bear in mind that injunction was kicked out yesterday in Chinese University. It, it was indeed. The student union applied um, for an injunction to stop police going on the campus. So, um, in a sense, that, that answers the question. But the question, of course, um, it, <laughs> is ever so slightly loaded. Because the fact of the matter is that um, campuses obviously are not going to become no-go areas. They're public places. They're public institutions. But there's a problem going on in Hong Kong. I don't know if anybody noticed. Yeah. Certainly not certainly not the chief secretary, Matthew Joan, who actually told legislators yesterday that he had no idea why people were so angry because he didn't have any public polling opinion to hand. And then he said, oh, but you know what? It could be something to do with housing, uh, maybe wealth inequality. This is the people we're now dealing with. He's the number two person in government. And he says in public, oh, my goodness, I have no idea why people are so angry. But I tell you what, if an opinion poll crops up, I'll certainly have a look at it. He might have regretted that one the minute those lip, those words bounced off his lips, I think. You're, 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 you're so generous in giving him the benefit of the doubt. Might the have. problem is that this came in the same week. I mean, later in the week, admittedly, but after all, we're only at Thursday. So goodness knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, that we heard the Sino, the chief executive in name only, telling, well, she came out of hiding earlier in the week to give a sort of press conference in which she said, well, we've now decided um, what we're going to do about all of this. And let me make it absolutely clear what it is. We're going to do precisely nothing. And I thought, goodness. So we've got the, the number two doesn't know why there's a problem. The number one says our solution to the problem is to do absolutely nothing. Well, that's not, of course, true. I mean, they're still hiding behind the police force. They're, this week, they're thinking of ways of reinforcing the police force with other um, disciplined services officers, apparently from the correctional services. But, you know, all they do is talk about violence and all they're focusing on is the symptom and not the cause. Let me ask you something here, Steve. Purely, I'm going to put a caveat on everything this morning. Purely in your opinion, have we actually yeah. reached, looking around everywhere, what, if you're a chess player, you'd call it a Czech situation? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I'm not a Czech player, but I sort of understand it. I think we're Czech, but not Czechmates. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, yeah. In other words, um, you know, you've got... Nobody is pretending anything otherwise. You've got a crescendo of violence. You've got implacable opposition on both sides. And it's hardening and spreading. Mm -hmm. So in any normal circumstances, the government takes the lead and says, we have to do something about this. You've seen, for example, in Bolivia, where they had uh, 
enormous demonstrations, the president left the country. You've seen in Lebanon, where there were enormous demonstrations, the prime minister resigned, and so on. In almost all circumstances where situation reaches this degree, either someone carries the can and takes the blame and goes to make way for a new start, or takes the initiative maybe in the way that President Macron did in, in, in France when he was facing the Yellow Vest protests and went storming around the country talking to them. But before, and this is the crucial point, before he went storming around the country, he tackled the main cause of their discontent, which was this fuel price increase. Fuel price increase. Yep. So in every circumstance, except for Hong Kong, the proactive response has had to come, as it always needs to, from the government. Here we actually have a government that says, we don't know why the problem exists and we're going to do nothing about it. Let me ask you about the one thing that everybody's been talking about. In theory, there is an option for some serious military intervention. Now, that's, everybody's talking about that. Then the business guys will say, well, they're not going to do that because it'll kill Hong Kong, X, Y and Z. But I wonder how close we are to perhaps the notion of, to hell with the consequences, whackety whack. Well, I don't know. I'm plainly, I, I mean, know, of course you don't. No, 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 but all, all I do know is that, that, that they've kind of outlined the parameters of, of where and how that would occur. First of all, it won't be the, the People's Liberation Army. It would almost certainly be the People's Armed Police. We know that because they were doing all these rather ferocious exercises over in Shenzhen about six weeks ago, that, which incidentally have stopped. But we see that but, all the time. I mean, that's the playbook, huff and puff. But when, yes, does, but it, when, does, it, when of, does it stop being a particular and part of the of, of the armed forces, which is not the army? Gotcha. But the second point, which a lot of people are now saying, is, do you know what? They don't really need to send in anybody because there are so many members of the uh, People's Armed Police already embedded in the police force, already directing operations from this base that's been established in Shenzhen. That, in a sense, sending in um, you, you know, opening the border and having trucks filled with... That's what we uh, think, that's what people think, isn't it? Some one of those great big posters kind of job. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I, you know, this is a hostage to fortune. What do I know? Well, but I don't think this is going to happen because I think that the chosen method now is simply to keep infiltrating them into the police force here. Wouldn't you, if you, were, if you were a commander of something, wouldn't you think, well, that's the logical thing to do? Um... I, I don't know. I mean, the point. <laughs> I haven't been the commander of a piece of no, cake. You know, you know what I'm on about. I no, mean, that, I know. That, that is very logical. No, no. I mean, but 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 it, but in 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 the great order of things, if you if you can if you can, and they still think they can, achieve a violence meets violence solution, they always have more weapons than the protesters will ever have. And they always have the means, because of the structure of the government here, to simply brush it aside and say, actually, we're in command here. We may not bring our troops in in such a visible way, but <laughs> we'll, we'll be running the show now. Please sit at the back and we don't want to hear from you for the next few weeks. Mm. Um, I think that's far more likely. I've got a little sort of message here from Kevin who says, do you think that the powers of be?" Uh, that sorry do you think that the powers that be are actually surprised at the resilience and, fe and and fearlessness of these quote protesters he says oh i think that's a very good question because i think they are remember how this thing has developed 
in the early stages, there was a great confidence. Oh, it will all peter out. Hong Kong people, you just give them a couple of baubles and, you know, they're, they're, they're very kind of fickle. They'll, they'll disappear. That hasn't happened. And what is even more surprising is that the hostility to the police, which you might think in the face of what's going on, people would have this yearning for, for law and order. The hostility to the police has, has increased absolutely dramatically. If it is true, the latest opinion poll that we have on this, that seven out of ten people believe that the police are either out of control or acting arbitrarily and making arrests, this is staggering because the Hong Kong police, let's not forget this, I know we're, we're, we're now in the sixth month of these protests, but the Hong Kong police had a very good reputation. When I came here, they had a very good reputation. And it's going down the drain at, at, you know, at nano, nano knots per minute. Must they be thinking about their future as well? Because, I'm again, I'm just curious how many 10-year-olds right now are saying, Daddy, I want to be a policeman one day. <laughs> God. You, you know what I mean? No, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I'm just thinking. I wonder. I mean, it, it is interesting. The most vocal of the policemen, um, the, the very famous sergeant who was pictured, um, you know, pointing his gun at protesters and has then been lauded in Beijing and post regularly in defiance of civil service regulations. But remember, those regulations no longer apply to the Hong Kong police force. He's saying things like, oh, I'm going to put my children in school in Shenzhen because it's too dangerous for them here. We're thinking of moving ourselves to Shenzhen. So, you know, even he, the most high profile and the most outspoken, illicitly outspoken member of the force, isn't, I think, persuading his children that a great career um, lies in front of them in the police force. Yeah, well, it's a shame because it's not just about what's happening right now. It is the future for these guys and let's well, hope everything gets back, put, put back to normal. Ain't that the fact? And let's I mean, hope you know, that kids are saying, look... Daddy, I want to be a policeman. <laughs> the, the other thing which I found really chilling to the bone this week was in that moment when, when the scene emerged from hiding, you know, she, she actually visited Hong Kong this week, which was a bit of a blast. We haven't seen much of her. She started to talk about the demonstrations, who she always calls rioters, as enemies of the people. Now, this is a term, I, I know it's very famous from the, the Ibsen play, but this was a term that was much favoured by Joe Stalin uh, during the very darkest days of the Soviet Empire, when people were thrown into gulags never to be seen again. It was revived in 1957 by Mao Zedong in the famous speech in China, Enemies of the People. Mm -hmm. And you look through the sordid history of genocidists like the Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia. They all use this same term to justify the very act of genocide and other atrocious um, activity against the population. Carrie Lam is using that now. I think people didn't pay sufficient attention to that. I know people don't pay much attention to her, but every now and again, you've got to tune in and say, is she really saying these things? So to put it really simply, Steve, are we talking about history talks of these groups turning people against people? Well, and, and demonising anybody who opposes the regime as being an enemy of the people. I mean, you know, there's no longer... In other words, what she's saying and what all of these people say is there's no such thing as legitimate opposition. There's pro-government and there's enemies of the people. 
There's no little space between those two extremes. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Steve, just your observations. I've asked all my questions. Yeah, well, um, the, the, I mean, the, the other thing that happened this week, which I have to say, well, a lot of us feel we're unshockable, but it was shocking, was this terrible toying with, with, with children in all of this, mm. with the government not closing, not agreeing until it was absolutely forced to, which was today, to close down the schools in face of the, the turmoil that's going on. Because Carrie Lamb, and she said this herself, said, oh, no, I don't want to fall into the protesters' trap of, of doing this. Look, Carrie Lamb, you are responsible for the safety of citizens. I think that anybody who's head of government has a, a special responsibility for the safety of young children. I'm absolutely staggered that that came second in the government's consideration to its political calculations of who would gain advantage or not gain advantage by the schools being closed. Yeah. I mean, presumably they're going to be closed until the end of the week. Some of the universities are ending their uh, current term early, so we don't know what's going to happen there. Steve, tell me in your career and years gone by, the, the conversations that have probably been had in big newsrooms about a photograph determining literally changing the course of something. I mean, yesterday, the big photograph was little girls, schoolgirls, and it was the yeah. uniform, the Sailor Moon almost uniforms up against a wall with these cops just like standing next to them. That is a picture that can totally and utterly change things. It, it could well do. These are the two girls in Central, I well, think but, you're but, talking No, about. I'm talking about a whole row of, of schoolgirls, um, you know, in the sort of Navy uniform light oh, kind right. of stuff yeah. in, in, the, mean, in the yeah. MTR up against the wall. Yes, I mean, that could be. I mean, you're quite right. Practically every event ends up having a defining photograph. You remember the famous defining photograph of the Tiananmen protests in 1989, which was the so-called tank man yeah. a photograph, one man defying all these tanks. You remember the famous picture that um, Hugh Van Ness, the, the late photographer who lived in Hong Kong, took of the helicopter evacuating um people from the roof of the American uh, embassy mm -hmm. in Saigon as being the defining picture of the defeat of the Americans yeah. in Saigon. I, I suspect this may well prove to be it, but, you know, as, as, as time goes on, I, I can actually think there may even be more dreadful images that come to symbolize what's been going on in Hong Kong. But you're quite right. It's a cliche, but it happens to be a true one. A picture tells a thousand words. We'll come back after the news with Steve Vines. If you want to get in touch, Morning Brew at RTHK. On Radio 3 and Circles, just before 20 minutes to 11. Ten more minutes or so with Steve Vines, who's satelliting it today. Steve, all yours. Well, I tell you one thing that, that I've been increasingly thinking about, and this, this is because when I started working as a journalist, I was covering Middle East things, and I can't help keep thinking about Lebanon. I mean, as some people know, um, the Lebanese Civil War went on for 25 years from 1975 to 1990. As we've seen in recent events, it didn't really end then. Mm. But the reason I'm thinking about this is, you know, people keep talking about the new normal in Hong Kong. You know, the new normal is that before you go to work, you want to find out whether there's going to be any transportation. The new normal is that tear gas is flying around. The new normal is that every time you turn on a TV, someone's being beaten up, yeah. usually by somebody in uniform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, in Lebanon, think about it. For 25 years, people somehow adjusted. Human beings are most extraordinary. They adjust. 
you will think, how do people live in a country that's had a civil war going on for 25 years? And the, the reason is people find a way. And what I fear hmm. about Hong Kong is that rather than a quick or even a slow dramatic ending to all this, it just lingers and lingers and lingers and people accommodate themselves to a deteriorating reality in some way. And the parallel with Lebanon doesn't end there because, of course, can people forget this? But before 1979, uh, 75 rather, Lebanon was the centre of commerce in the Middle East. It was the playground of the rich because it was so much nicer than all the other Arab countries. It was the place that people aspired to go to. It was, oh, that's right, a bit like Hong Kong, a centre for China, a place that people go to because they don't really want to go to the mainland itself. Hmm. Well, that obviously doesn't exist anymore in Lebanon. And my fear is that that same deterioration will happen here and Hong Kong will just fade. Couple of uh, couple of emails, Destroy. Steve. In, in the middle in the middle of you talking there, I've just got a, a quickie from John who said it could easily get like Belfast. Now that's serious talking as well. What do you think? Well, I mean, but the difference with Belfast, uh, um, I, I know um, uh, Mike Chinoy, the, fe- the, the former um, CNN correspondent here, wrote an article about this. The difference with Belfast is that at the end of the day, there you actually had a government and. You know, I'm sorry to say anything nice about Tony Blair in public, but it was a government led by Tony Blair that finally said, you know what, we've got to take an initiative and put an end to this. Mm. So, you know, that situation, of course, hasn't gone away, but it was substantially ended by the government finally saying it can't go on like this indefinitely. We've got to do something. And they did. Let's get an opinion here from one of our listeners, Chris. He's written me a nice email. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. He said, so now, having witnessed the horrific setting ablaze of a man arguing with rioters, will we see any of the so-called pro-democratic leading figures finally come out and unequivocally condemn violence or will they continue their hypocritical, quote, it's bad? But this is very important in the run up to the district council elections. Stephen, in a minute, let's go on about that. Um, Contrary to the widespread trope that 90 percent plus are in favour of the protesters, I have to say that almost all the people I know are heartily against the violence this has nothing to do with their view of the useless government. That's Chris's point of view. And well, Chris is real, by he, the way. <laughs> he's entitled. I mean, I don't know where Chris gets his news from, but, but that attack, which I assure you um, was uh, appalling. I mean, we're talking about this, this man who was arguing with protesters in Mansan and had lighter fuel poured over him and then he was set alight. That attack has been condemned by leaders of the Democratic camp. I mean, you know... At least I, I understand that he's on the other side of the fence. But, you know, do try and read the odd newspaper other than the, other than the um, you know, the People's Post and what have you. There is out there this information. But he says everybody he knows is against the protesters. That's how society is these days. People are going into their own bunkers. He kind of, said, sure against you... the, he kind of said against the violence, in fairness, Steve. Well, that's the code that's now used <laughs> for being against the democracy protest. But never mind. I mean, well, whatever. He can. He, he's entitled to define it as he wants. But I, my point is that people are retreating into silos of, of like-minded people. There are a very clear number of people who are 
anti the protests sure. and are supporters of China. There's nobody who's a supporter of the government. It's far too pathetic of that. But well, that, that's the interesting thing, Steve, because, you know, everybody's allowed to think what the hell they like, and that's all there is to yes. it. But, but his final sentence, this has nothing to do with their view of the useless government. Boom. Well, there you go. As I say, I mean, no, you know, there's no pro-government camp in Hong Kong anymore. That that died a, a, a silent and unlamented death. I don't know when, but at least a few months ago. But he also, I mean, Chris also raises the interesting point, which we haven't discussed so far, of the election. Sure. So, I mean, you you know for a fact that nobody who thinks they're going to win an election calls for it to be cancelled. So the fact that the pro-China camp are avidly trying to get these elections cancelled tells you what they think, let alone anybody else thinks, of the likely outcome of the elections. And we've seen uh, this week there was a very good interview with um, John Jung on, on, on Radio 3 the other night in which he was saying, you know, the consequent John Jung, the former financial secretary, in which he was saying the consequences of cancelling these elections would be disastrous. Mm -hmm. I mean, let alone um, the, the anti-democratic nature of them. I mean, you know, if you want to, if you think the violence hasn't been ramped up far enough, go for it. It would be a fabulous idea for getting even more people on the streets, even more angry. But in fact, what we're talking about is district elections, which, you know, in the quaint old days used to be about whether the rubbish removal services were good or not. Now it's a referendum. There's no doubt about that. It's a referendum on the government. And they're absolutely, um, gosh, I need to find a polite word of this, jolly frightened of yeah. the outcome of that election, which is why we see in the People's Daily and among the more rabid of the pro-government, uh, sorry, pro-China camp. And we're getting more, more Global Times as well. They, they've Global got, Times, yeah. my favourite newspaper, don't miss a copy, <laughs> saying, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, Hong Kong, basically, a Global Times line basically is Hong Kong people don't deserve an election. Well, yeah, good luck. Well, listen, <laughs> well, I mean, how, again, crystal ball, how do you see this playing out? Because these, this has become truly significant next weekend. The elections, mm. I, 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 I hate to say this, but I think the lunatics are now in the driving seat and they will be cancelled. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's appalling. You and hope you're wrong for once. I <laughs> hope I'm wrong, yes. <laughs> but can, can I add something which might lighten the load? Because we, we've had a bit of a heavy load today, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you know what the Secretary for Justice, Theresa Ching, remember her? Does anybody remember her? She's off in England or something, isn't she? Yeah, she's in England, but do you know what she's doing? Go on, go on. You can't make this up. She's gone to England to talk about Hong Kong becoming a regional hub for dispute resolution yeah, and okay, deal-making. Come on. What? Yeah, OK. Yeah. You think I'm making that <laughs> no, up? I know, I know. Read, read the government website. I, I was flicking through it because, you know, I'm a dutiful chap. And I, I looked at that and I thought, hello, someone is having a laugh. And I read it again and I found that, no, that is what she's doing in London. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, yeah. It's bizarre beyond belief. Yeah, I mean, God knows what the audience there will make. Of Violin it. playing and, and fires yeah, and stuff. <laughs> well, you're obviously an expert in, in dispute resolution. Can we have your wisdom? You're, you, you've been so highly successful at it in Hong Kong. <laughs> One more, Steve. Come on, try and leave well, us, try and leave us happy. Mean, it's not going to happen, is it? 
well, uh, I don't think I was brought along here to make people happy, <laughs> honestly. Um, I, I think what um, I think the only thing that, that that perhaps we can draw comfort from is that the level and the depth of people who are now calling for an independent inquiry, people who've never been in the democratic camp, does demonstrate that there is at least a bit of a wind behind that proposal. And that would really be helpful, I think. But the next question is how? That's a monumental task. It's a monumental task, but, you know, various people have been proposed as, as suitable for leading it. I mean, one of the names that comes up quite a lot is the former Chief, Chief Justice, Andrew Lee, who, who's respected on all sides of the fence. You have to have a figure like that. You can't have someone who's nobody has ever heard of, and you can't have someone who is clearly identified with one camp or another. But, you know, a respected judge, I think it probably does need to be a judge leading it, could do the job. I mean, there have been inquiries. You look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was um, held in South Africa. Mm. They went on for a long time, but it did an enormously good job in settling the, the, the discontent after the apartheid era. Steve. So, you know, mm. in Hong Kong, we can do these things. Talk to you next week, Steve. Thanks very much. Take care. Mm.